This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome back to Practical Spirituality. Uh, by the way, the webinar just began last week and it's been, uh, it was incredible to be all together. So please sign up for that. That's at, uh, uh, that's at support at RabbiYomTov.com. Okay, gang. Um, I was told you have 10 seconds to say something because everyone's got no attention span. So you make your, you better make your marketing in the first 10 seconds. Done. Okay. Uh, yeah. What's important to look for in a soulmate? What's important to look for in a soulmate? Oh, that's an interesting question. Maybe we'll do the soulmate class. You guys want to, you probably, you've heard my soulmate. My six steps to finding your soulmate. The happy one. The happy one. You've heard that. And stay away from him. <laughs> um, do you guys want? Uh, do you guys want the six steps to finding your soulmate? Yeah. No. You you heard that recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that only a couple times a year, but you you got lucky, I guess, that you heard it. Um, uh, it's is, on torrent. Oh, is it okay? Yeah. It's on torrent. I would like to have an actual class about spirituality, considering this class is called Practical Spirituality. So let's, let's talk spirituality. Um, what I would like to share with you all is that we're, we're supposed to be living completely and total spiritual lives. Complete and total spiritual lives. And Jews are the most practical people in the world, so we don't live totally spiritual lives because we're so busy being practical a lot, a lot of the time. For example, um, meaning one of the things that makes you have to be very practical is is the, the commandment, which is upon men, is to be fruitful and multiply. Well, <laughs> like how spiritual can you be? you got to feed the little chick, chicks, and you're going to have to go work. And, you know, it's not nice out there in the work world. And you're going to have to go out there and... and you know, you got to work. Well, that's not very spiritual. So Judaism already at the very first commandment in the Torah, be fruitful and multiply, has already ripped out probably most of your spirituality. You get that? Like it's, most of it's already gone because you're, you're in the workforce now. And you're going to be either working for somebody else or you're working for yourself or whatever you're doing. It's, it's not in synagogue, that's for sure. You know, you're not going to be in synagogue. So... So, like, the Torah begins, like, here's this book that tells us to dedicate our lives to God. And the very first commandment is going to rip you out of that so fast, like, forget about it. You know, the, um, there's actually, a, a, our sages in the Talmud have an interesting story where the, they make this outrageous statement that the temple was destroyed because people were not saying the blessing over the Torah. You know, Asher Torah to learn the Torah, which is ridiculous. Like we lost everything and went through a full Holocaust because people weren't making the blessing on the Torah. It doesn't make any sense. And so then it says, well, and then the rabbis ask back about that statement. The rabbis say, well, what are you talking about? Like these people are very observant. I mean, they weren't very good at honoring one another. You know, they weren't very good at Lush and Har and stuff, but they were, 
more or less, you know, quite observant. At the time of the second temple, we were, we were, that was one of the frumer times. The first temple we had issues with, like, we were doing the big three. And, you know, the big three is like, forget it, you're going to lose the temple if you're doing the big three. The second temple, no one was doing the big three. We we weren't honoring each other properly. And the, um, and so the sages say back, the rabbis say back, what do you mean they weren't making the blessing of the Torah? Of course they're making the blessing of the Torah. And then the, the answer, is, says the rabbis, is they weren't making the blessing of the Torah again when they come back from work. Meaning they would make the blessing of the Torah, they would go study and pray, then they would go to work, and then when they came back from work, they didn't make the blessing on the Torah. And then the rabbis answer back, what? What did the rabbis answer back? Jack, what did the rabbis answer back when they said, why didn't they make the blessing when they came back from work? Why didn't they make it again? Excellent. I should have asked an FFB. You're an FFB? Yeah, Zevi. Because you don't have to write. It, you make, how often you make the blessing over the Torah? It's once a day blessing. You wake up in the morning, you say Modeani, you go to the bathroom, and you say Yashir Yatsar and Elokai, and you say the blessing over the Torah. Everyone starts their day. You start your day that way. Who doesn't start their day that way? I'm sure every Jew starts their day that way. <laughs> Maybe not. So, anyway, it's once a day. You know it's once a day. So, so then they, they say, well, why'd you destroy the temple if they're not supposed to make the blessing again? So what's, why are you making such a big deal that they didn't make it again? And the rabbis say that when they were at work, they were so engrossed at work that when they came back from work, it was like a new day. When they got back to synagogue for like Mincha, Marif, you know, Aravit, and, and the, you know, a little study in the, in the study halls when they came back from work, it was so different, meaning they were so not spiritual at work. They were so far gone. They were so not God at work that really it should have required another blessing. Halakhically, it doesn't. But they were so far gone while they were working that, that their return to the study hall was like a new day. In other words, the temple was not destroyed because people weren't making the blessing. What it's really saying, that's our rabbi's way of saying, it's a very long-winded rabbinic way of saying, they, the temple was destroyed because they were out to lunch. That's all. Because they were out to lunch. That their minds were not focused on God when they were doing things other than godly. You know, you know stuff that's overtly godly. When they were doing stuff that was like, where God's kind of hidden, which is like the world of commerce and perhaps the world of shopping or transportation or sports or education, like, you know, like getting a degree or learning a trade or something like that, that we were living two separate lives when we were doing that. And the lesson is that, that our goal is to make it all one. Like we're supposed to be living one life. We're supposed to be having one spiritual experience in our lives all the time. I mean, we're supposed to be totally in all the time spiritually. How? How can you do that? How are you supposed to do that? I'd like to show you in a chart just to make it interesting like this, except I've got someone else's writing on the board, which is always upsetting. But 
I get this eraser over here. I'm not even gonna ask you who wrote this. You don't know. Oh, he's the one who's busted? Well, he's lending me his iPhone, so today, so I don't think I'm gonna send him a snapshot. Usually I take a snapshot of the board and send it to them. <laughs> They're right. Am I supposed to erase this? <laughs> like, has Aish offered me another aspect to my job? Erasing his board. Anyway, but I've, but I've done it for years now, and it works. Like, finally, like, more or less, you come into a clean board. You know why I do it? You know why I erase the board? I erase the board because, because on my way home, I want to stay faithful to my wife when I go home. You know, through Ben Yehuda Street, and, you know, dance clubs and pubs and stuff. I want to stay faithful to my wife, so I always erase the board. What's the connection? What's the connection? Clean board, clean mind. Being considerate. Yeah, if you consider, if I can consider the next rabbit, maybe I'm considering my wife too. <laughs> huh? So the answer is, uh, the answer is that if you want to be good at big stuff, be good at little stuff. Right? You, you, you can't just be good at big stuff. I mean, how many people have? How many of us have seen, like? Schwitzing, overweight, chain smoking, begging Hasidim. Who you know, like there's no chametz on their table at all. You know, like that on Pesach, that you're not going to find bread there. You know, like they're really good about the big stuff. Really good. Like they are dotting their eyes, they're crossing their T's. Like they don't miss a detail. So, so they're really good at big stuff. But I believe that if you really want to be really good at the big stuff, you got to be good at the small stuff. And I also believe that includes health and diet, and it includes meaning what you're willing to put in your body. Like, I know that observant Jews generally only really care if it's kosher or not. But, you know, your, your body is going to recreate itself every seven years. Like, there's going to be nothing, seven years from now, none of what you have here physically will be here. It's going to be completely recreated. Well, what was the input? What was the input? Air, okay, that doesn't create that much. Um, water is super helpful. Um, but other than that, the only thing that's making you is food. So you make sure you're made of the make sure you're actually made of the stuff seven years from now that that's going to create you know strong body, good immune system. Good genes for healthy genes for the kid, next generation. Because think about it, your whole genes, all your genes are going to be, you know, new seven years from now. And so make sure it's like genetically clean. Sometimes I wonder if the illness of, you know, when I grew up as a kid, nobody under 50 got cancer. Like that just was not, I mean, I'm a little older than you guys, so you guys probably think of cancer as something that people who are younger get too like it's not age specific did you grow up thinking it wasn't age specific yeah so it 
was completely age specific. Like the child cancer was like there wasn't a single kid in my entire elementary school, and my t- no one in my junior high school, no one in my high school, and no one in my college that got it. My own university, I didn't hear one single case of cancer. And there was like 30,000 people. Now, it's not that there wasn't. There probably was. I didn't get to meet anyone who had it or even hear a story of someone who had it. And so it kind of makes you wonder if our food... And someone asked me, like, well, what about the previous generation? They had all that stuff, meaning the people in their, who are today in their 70s and 80s. Yeah, but look where they're from. They're from, think of who gave birth to them. They were given birth by people who were drinking raw milk from cows. Meaning they were drinking cow milk that had not been pasteurized and boiled until all the culture is gone. Meaning their stomach flora to digest their food was so whole and complete that their digestive system was so much better at receiving nutrients. They also, they didn't get to know sugar. They didn't get sugar as kids. They didn't, where would they get sugar? And and even coffee wasn't that available, you know, to that generation, to meaning the previous generation that gave birth to your grandparents' age. So your grandparents are born from the most pure stock there could ever be, where the food was really built for, for life. What's that? In certain areas, yeah, some had malnourishment, yeah, but at least the nourishment they got wasn't poisonous, you know, it wasn't plastic genetically inspired you know who knows what you know wasn't beastly yeah we do live longer right but living longer today has a lot to do with uh, various things you know with a lot of which is medical practice yeah uh, what were World War One? I, I think the majority of deaths were from uh, were from infection because they didn't know when they were dealing with cuts and surgeries and stuff they didn't know about bacteria so they were like people were doing surgery not in surgical theaters that were sanitary they just didn't know but by World War II the only death the, the deaths were because of something specific it wasn't because they died of infection um, okay uh, where are we at I was going to show you something on the board that was all one long discussion from erasing the board so let's look at life like a pie chart, not the uh, sexual identity pie chart. This is going to be a new pie chart. So let's, that doesn't look like a very good pen. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Okay, so let's look at this pie chart. And this pie chart is going to include all of your interests. Okay. Include all your interests. So everyone's got lots of interests. So, you guys name interest. Just name an interest. Music. Music. Sports. Sports. Movies. Movies. Dance. Dance. Torah. Torah. School. School. Reading. What? Reading. Reading. Art. Art. Food. Food. Gardening. Gardening. Karate. Okay, she said relationships. I mean, this is the most narcissistic generation. Like, it's amazing that no one even mentioned relationships until you finally did. And you, she's got, like Torah and relationships. That's the only thing she mentioned. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I, I was, I was going to mention that too, obviously. Uh, Torah and relationships, you know. We were, we were, I was going to put that here. 
or did we start there? I was going to put that there in a torn relationships. Anyway, but the anyway, we got lots of interests and and we have many, many more actually. And and I also noticed that none of you mentioned money. And uh, but meanwhile, you're all going to have to make some. So you know, good luck with that. So there, there's just fix the backlight. So no one really mentioned, uh, you know, a bunch of other things. One of them was you got to make a living, and we already spoke about that a little bit, about making a living, which is like pretty intense. You know, uh, your majority of your life will be spent at work more than with family throughout your life, and that's and that's of interest because you got to pay for your life. So now, in our prayers, we say as follows: Purify our hearts, Taher Libenu, purify our hearts, La Avdecha, to serve you, Be'emes, to serve you in truth. What does it mean to do something? First of all, what does it mean that something's Tahor? Like, for example, this water, which I doubt is Tahor, but let's just say this was 100%, it was Tahor, it's 100% water. Tell me, what's in, what are the ingredients if it's 100% water? Yeah, well, okay, it wasn't a trick question. The answer is water. If this is 100% water, what are the ingredients? Water. Now, what are the other ingredients? There are none. It's tahor. Now we're asking God to purify our hearts to serve you in truth. And it's like, purify should be enough, but in truth. Like, meaning, meaning it's, it is not only 100% pure, but it's like, really at the bottom line like truthfully pure like my heart is truthfully purely serving you that's it well let's think about your heart because this is your heart what is a heart a heart is a thing that wants the heart is where desire comes from everything you want in this world is coming from is coming from the heart your brain's job is figuring out how to get it and also figuring out if you should get it you know, you got to have a brain, because otherwise you wind up in a lot of trouble. Now, I know a lot of people, I know people in trouble, as we speak, who would love to get a phone call from me right now, because they're in whatever crisis they're in. And they're, our hearts want all kinds of stuff. Our head's job is how to get it, or if to get it, and then how to get it. If the answer is yes to get it, then how do you get it? The heart's the one that wants. The lev, the lev is chomed, which means to, to covet, to want. And what you'll notice about this pie chart here is all, this is stuff we want. You know, I want ex- an exotic bike to mountain bike with, and I want to ride in the Swiss Alps, and I want to have success in various projects of mine, and I, and I want to, ha- to spend time with my children, and I want to travel with my wife, and I want to, I got a lot of wants. And so you could see yourself like Spider-Man shooting webs everywhere with all the stuff you want. Because I, I, I want that, and I want, I want that car, and I want that phone, and I want that outfit, and I want that... You know, we're like... And you wind up totally entangled in a web of things you want. 
And then comes Shabbos prayers, and you're like, Purify my heart so there's no other ingredients. What does it mean pure? It means nothing else is in there. If you're drinking 100% apple juice, it's only apple juice. Not concentrate. No additives. No water. Just apples. Squeezed. Means that I only want God. That's what we say in our prayers. That's what it's about. And it proves, again, that Judaism is expecting full-on spirituality at all times. Yet our hearts are trapped in this cobweb, cobweb, in this spiderweb, in this spiderweb of desires. And not only that, our brain, the real estate, don't forget, your brain's like real estate. You don't have a ton of it to go, give around, give out. You know, they say you only use a couple percent of it. And you don't have a ton of real estate. And if you're spending a lot of your mental real estate how to get the stuff you want, so now your brain's wrapped up in your web too. So you got your heart in the web, you got your brain in the web, Ellie Mayer. It's like saying you only use 1% of your keyboard at a time. Like you don't need to use all of your keyboard at the same time. You use what you need to tap. So it's your brain. If you're trying to drive, you use certain parts of your brain. So technically it's a small percentage, but you can use all parts of your brain just at different times. Can I just say how much I love having Ellie Mayer in the class? Because he just calls me out on my scrap without the S, obviously. Thank you very much. And, that, you know, whenever the people say, like, yeah, you only lose 3% of your brain, yeah, yeah, but I'm using all of that 3%, you know, like, which is the amount I need to be using to be living in my life. Thank you, Ellie Mayer. So, um, I'm, please ignore what I just said. Back to us. Is, <laughs> he's great. You can't say anything with him. It's like, it, was like, it was like the advent of cell phones. I'm sorry, smartphones. Was suddenly, you say something stupid that's not true, Someone in the class is going to Google it, raise their hand like rabbi, you know, like, like, what are you making stuff up now? Yeah. <laughs> Back to our real estate, because I'm with Ellie, really. I'm with Ellie Mayer. That whatever three percent you got or five percent, whatever the percent you got, well, that's what you need. Otherwise, God would have given you more. Now, but but how much of that real estate, which we can now call a hundred percent, how much of that hundred percent of your mental real estate? is purified for God. If any. If any. I mean, imagine you start your day and we put, we put, we somehow got electrodes on you, you know, under your keyboard or something or, you know, and we stick it under your hair or something and it counts how many times you thought about God throughout the day. It's going like milliseconds, you know, it's got milliseconds, seconds, you know, minutes. Like, how, how good would you do it? At the end of the day, right when you go to bed, you press off on the stop timer. And it lets you know your score of how many of those, how much would you score? What would you score? Thoughts about God. And don't forget, don't forget like this, my smartphone right now, that's, that's, you see my smartphone's plugged in. It's not forgetting for a second its source. Because the second, this old smartphone, the second you unplug that thing, the battery just goes, and the thing, this thing would have cut out a half hour ago. It's a 6S. I mean, the updates completely destroyed it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a worthless, you know, besides you know, whatever it can do, which isn't much. But it's, um, it's not forgetting its source for a second. 
Are we any different? Are you any different than this plugged-in cell phone with a no ba- no real battery? Are you any different when it comes to God? What if God were to unplug you right now? How long would you last? What if he unplugged the universe? How long would the universe, would it have to retract? What do you think? Like, we're in an expanding universe, so if he unplugged it, would it, would it retract for like a couple million years? No. It would not. If in one millisecond, the entire thing would disappear if it were unplugged. This is why uh, Yirmiyahu, our, our, who was lamenting, you know, he wrote Lamentations. He was lamenting the fact that we're so spaced out, that we're so out of it. Like, he was lamenting it, and he said, one of, the, one of his lines was the, oh man, I wish I knew it exactly. Do we have any people raised Christian in here? Like, they're so helpful. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, wait, wait, you're coming. Oh, great. You're, France, Francis, yes. Francis, um, what is the word? It's like, it's like the, it's like the, the donkey or the calf or the something knows its trough. But but the Jewish people don't contemplate. You understand, like the the animal knows exactly where its trough is. It knows its source for sustenance. But but my people, I think it says my people. But my people don't contemplate. Maybe you weren't such a good girl in church. I don't know, but they, you don't remember where that is. But somewhere in Jeremiah, yeah, who wasn't a bullfrog by the way. And so the. He probably felt like one most of the time because the Jews just couldn't stand the guy. I mean, he was like the—he was probably the most hated prophet in all of history. I mean, he was just so unpopular. I like telling people that that it's over and that the temple's not going to last if they don't turn it, turn themselves around quickly. You know, anyone going to like that guy? <laughs> That's just not a popular position, <laughs> especially when you got the most gorgeous, gorgeous temple right there with the Levites playing their music and the, you know, the, and the, the offerings are being offered and it's like, you know, the incense is wafting through the air and there's a king, you know, there's a very proud king of Israel and like comes Jeremiah just saying like, yeah, you're all finished, you know, you got, you got, you got, forget days, you got hours to turn it around. And so it's, course they completely ignored him and persecuted him you know he was so holy though but it, I, this is like one of my most heartfelt connections i have with your because i i would do the same thing that when the t- everything was destroyed and the jews were marched out he went with them he didn't have to go with them he, yeah and I'm not sure I would do, I would, but he just went to, he went, he was like, okay, there they are, like leaving the thousands into Babylon. Those who weren't killed or raped or pillaged or whatever. They're leaving the thousands. He's like, there they are. And they're all crying and they're, everything they've had has been taken from them. And so he's like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm not going to be much of a prophet anymore, but, but maybe I could console some people. And he actually consoled them on the way. And then when he got to Babylon, he turned around and came back to help out. To help out whatever was left over here, like he, I mean, he was. Uh, that shows you, that you know what that shows you. That shows you that he was in it for the right things. He wasn't. There was no ego involved. Meaning, okay, no one listened to me. Okay, so now what do I do? Okay, I console them now that they're upset. You hear that? Like that's, that's real. Okay, yeah. Um, well, 
would, they, would it be possible for them to change, or was it just meant to happen? Um, no, we always have free will. You can always do true. <laughs> but then, like, all of history would have been completely different. Sure, it would have been very different. And maybe we would have lost it 100 years later. The history would have been different. Because, like, I've read, I don't know if it's true, um, that it was, like, supposed to be, and that it was, in, like, in the prophecies and all that, but then, would, like, wouldn't that just... So we have a rule that all prophecies have to come true if they're positive prophecies. If God says this will happen, it's going to happen. Any negative prophecy is contingent upon our behavior. So, so yeah, it's not... I hear the question, though. It's, no, any negative prophecy, like meaning this is going to be the consequence if you blow it, you can actually stop blowing it and get out of the consequence. Okay. Now, watch this, everybody. I'm going to do a little magic trick. A little magic trick, because you think I'm going to tell you not to enjoy sports? <laughs> like, I'll be the last person telling somebody not to enjoy sports. Do you think you shouldn't enjoy craft beer? You think you shouldn't drive a killer car in Mexico? Yeah, you should have an amazing car in Mexico. Yeah? So, ready for this? Watch this. Guess what I'm going to put in there? In there, I'm going to put a yud. For God's name, Yud and Hain, Vav and Hay for God. The reason I'm putting a Yud is because the screen comes out backwards, whatever I write. I could put a G, but it'll come out backwards for everyone watching this online. But you put God in the center. Because he's in the craft beer, and he's in the car you're driving, and he's in the work you're doing. He's in everything. There's nowhere God isn't. God is in everything you're doing. Our job is to tune into that, and that's purity. In Judaism, purity isn't being on a mountaintop in the Himalayas saying, oh, anyone can do that. Judaism is to, to have all your interests and put God at the center of it all. Now, this is, both, by the way, something great in that you ever wonder, like, what are you supposed to want? So now you have a great acid test for everything because you just say, hmm, is, is can I serve God this way? Like, but in a real way, and not like justifying serving God this way. But can I like act? No, I'm saying, can I serve God? I'm saying, like you said, the litmus test is can you serve God? And you said, but not like justifying something that you exhibit. So how do you know which is justifying, which is not? Excellent. So, so what you do is because you have a lot of years here. I mean, you got good. Uh, you know, how old are you? Eighteen. You got uh, 102 years left. What you do is you you get to adjust day to day. Like you could, for example, have a full catharsis God moment, drinking an IPA and Indian pale ale beer. And then you drink another one and it's that catharsis is gone because now the alcohol is taking effect and you're no longer feeling the, the connection the same. You're starting to get sloppy. And so the next day you're back in a situation where you can serve God with a craft beer. And you'll know it's a one-y. This is going to be one beer. And meaning, meaning, I was able to serve God with one beer. You'll you'll go to work. Got to make a living, so you go to work, and you'll notice that if you if you do just enough work, let's say you do a little too much, you got you bit off too much in your work responsibilities that you noticed later when you were at home, you were still thinking about work. 
which means you're you're kind of over your head, so you have to you have to be calculating even not at work, calculating your moves. So now you know you bit off too much, because a Jew is never allowed to use any mental real estate to make money beyond the money he needs, because our brains are especially male brains, meaning Jewish brains. Did I say Jewish brains? Especially Jewish men who are the ones who are obligated to be learning. We have to be learning Torah. So God gives us permission. We can use part of our brain to make a living, and you can make a lot of money too. You can use your brain and make a ton of money. But what's the litmus test that you're using too much of your brain? Is that you're no longer at work and you're still using your brain to make money. And, and the biggest test today is smartphones. Because you're always at work. You're always at work. Every second is a possible calculation of figuring out how to make more money. And, and so it's really, it's pretty not Jewish of us to be doing that. Because our only permission is to use our brains at work, to, to, to steal away. And it's not even stealing away if you're really into this picture. Because part of, you know, one of those things is making money. And part of making that money is being with God while you're making the money. But the, the acid test, listen to this one now, the marriage, just before you go, the, the litmus test of whether you're, you're bitten off too much in making money is that, is that you're still thinking about it later because, they, because we're only allowed to use our brains for making, we're, however much you need to make, you're allowed to borrow from your brain to do that. Thinking about the job or a way to get more? Way to get more. Thinking about your job is fine. That's okay. Like, yeah, we're talking like. Exactly. Okay, everyone, shalom. Have a beautiful day. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.